Hello and welcome to Macrobytes, the economics and politics podcast series from Aberdeen. My name is Luke Bartholomew, and this week we will be talking about inflation and why it has been so surprisingly high recently in so many countries. Now, this is a topic that we've circled around a bit on Macrobytes previously, talking about supply chain disruptions, what's going on in energy markets, and what all this might mean for policymakers and indeed the risk of recession. But today, I really want to focus on inflation in particular and the important sort of causal mechanisms in the economy that really pin down inflation and can help us to think about where inflation might be going and what it means for policymakers and so markets. And therefore, I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by my colleague Sri Kochkuminden, senior economist and our lead researcher on all topics inflation. So Sri, thanks so much for joining us today. I think maybe a, a good place to start, and I sort of, as I was setting this up, I talked of it being surprisingly high inflation in a number of countries at the moment, but someone might say to that not unreasonably, look, you know, there's all of these supply chain disruptions out there, bottlenecks from the economy reopening, at very tight energy markets, which have faced another huge shock from Russia's invasion of Ukraine, very stimulative monetary and fiscal policy over the last few years. It's not so difficult to tell a story, it would seem, as to why inflation is high in that context. If anything, it seems to be somewhat overdetermined. So when we say inflation is surprisingly high, what do, what do we mean by that? What is the surprise? Oh, thanks, Luke. I mean, certainly a lot of those factors um, have been driving the inflation overshoot, and they do a lot to explain much of the move in headline inflation. Um, but what we are seeing is a shift in those underlying inflation pressures as well. So those energy price markets, I mean, there's been some supply and demand imbalances there. Obviously, that feeds into the headline story. Um, some of the supply chain disruptions there can feed into both headline and perhaps have some alteration in some of the underlying drivers here. So what we're seeing is that um, the level of underlying inflation is now higher than we would typically expect for each given level of unemployment. So it's almost as if that relationship has shifted slightly. And ultimately, regardless of everything else that we're seeing, whether it's um, pandemic distortions, um, commodity market distortions, what really matters uh, for, for inflation outlook from here on would be the wage and employment dynamics. And that's what's really going to drive those underlying the core inflation, um, inflation from here. And something between that wage and employment dynamics seems to have changed quite recently in the last 12 months. I think that's really very important to note. And that's a key surprise. OK, so before we get into potentially explaining why this surprise might exist, maybe it would be good to say a little bit more about this relationship that we think exists between unemployment and inflation and why we think it's so important in inflation determination. OK, so we're going to talk about the relationship that's known as the Phillips curve. Um, now, I've heard so many times that Phillips curve is dead. This is irrelevant. But I'm going to just challenge that for a second. Um, we often act as if this relationship um, is directly between unemployment and inflation. That's not specific. That's not exactly true. Um, the relationship really is between slack in the economy and inflation. 
so it, unemployment is one measure that can be used as a proxy of, of slack. So often you see this relationship between Philipska plotted out as inflation relative to, to unemployment. So what, what we have is a situation where um, uh, as um, the, the low, if we have a generally a lower unemployment rate, then that's generally associated with higher inflation because it's signaling that you have less slack in the economy. And um, that means that there's more pricing power for workers. Um, and for firms, you have greater wage negotiation ability and you have greater ability from firms to pass those wages through, those input costs through and pass that through to the final consumer. So you tend to have higher inflation, the less slack there is in the economy. Now, if we take the, ob the observations over time of unemployment and inflation, what happens is we can trace out the relationship between the two. And it generally it has this form of a, a downward slope and this negative relationship. Now, this, this slope can then allow us to predict how much inflation we would expect for any given level of unemployment. And, and that's often referred to, you know, used by a lot of economists, it's used by central banks. Uh, and this is um, one way of looking at the relationship between unemployment or growth and inflation. Um, now, the amount of inflation we're seeing at the moment is actually much higher than we would have seen given the past relationships. And it's actually, if we look at the, 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 take the US as an example, the current relationship, the current level of unemployment and inflation, it actually takes us back to something that's quite similar to the early 70s. So that's a little bit worrying. And that's really where, you know, we need to understand what's driving that shift. And that's, that's, that's quite important, just to get an idea of what is the outlook for growth inflation, but also for policy um, going forward. Okay, so yeah, I think that sets out very nicely the sense in which there's this mystery that unemployment's low, sure, but even at these low levels of unemployment, you wouldn't expect this much inflation, the amount of inflation um, that we're seeing. There's a sense in which our models have got less good at predicting inflation, and that's where this surprise has, has come from. So as I said, what it'd be useful to do now is talk through some of the possible explanations for this surprise and then as we said talk about what it means for policy so let's start with a point that you alluded to in your previous answer there that really this relationship isn't about unemployment per se and inflation it's about the slack in the economy that is the amount of spare resources that are more generally not just in labor but across the entire market so how does this distinction between unemployment and true underlying slack, the thing that we think is really important, how does that distinction help explain some of the mystery? Yeah, I mean, I think, as, as you say, you know, we need to think about what is the true measure of slack. Uh, this, this relationship between inflation and slack is not necessarily stable over time. And that's something that we can we've seen through history. Um, just to take a quick step back and we could take the US example, um, we had this very nice, well-behaved downward sloping curve uh, in the 50s and 60s, but then as a result of a combination of policy error, supply shocks in the 70s, we saw that relationship shifting upwards and outwards. And that's that's actually quite worrying. We had then had a lost decade of stagflation, and then we needed the bulk era to bring uh, in, in inflation back down. But that, that combination of drivers there impacted inflation expectations. Now, 
what, what are we seeing at the moment? Well, there's a number, well, how do we measure Slack? There's a number of different drivers here. During the pandemic, um, there seems to have been a number of changes in the, um, in the labor market. So first of all, you know, perhaps the unemployment rate is as measured by U3, maybe that's not as accurate uh, as we would like. Perhaps the unemployment rate is, is a bit lower than that. So there's a few pieces of evidence that might point towards um, something like a more tight labor market than we're actually seeing in the, in the official numbers. So for a start in the pandemic, we did see a situation where desired hours to work, that's actually been falling. We've seen uh, a decrease in uh, labor force participation and uh, as a result of the pandemic, but that hasn't recovered to, uh, to the same extent that you would expect given you know, how we've seen reopening. And there, there has been a change in behavior. Now, part of that could be explained by population dynamics. You know, we are seeing, you know, population changes and some attrition in the labor, labor force as a result of that. Um, we've also seen a big shift in migration patterns. Um, we've, we saw immigration growth drop effectively to zero during the pandemic. And we haven't seen that uh, pick up or return since, you know, since the reopening. Um, there's been a limited boost from foreign workers uh, throughout this, uh, throughout the last 12, 12 months. Um, there's, also, there's also health concerns, uh, and that continues to deter the immunocompromised workers. And so that's contributing to, to the change in the labor force dynamic. There's also some evidence to suggest that you've got an increase in the reservation wage or the, or the minimum wage that's required to entice a worker back into the labor force. Uh, so that seems to have risen for a number of reasons. You know, during the pandemic, we saw an increase in personal savings. Net wealth has increased across developed markets, at least, and that's provided a bit of a buffer. You have greater choice in employment decisions. And so there's a number of different, different drivers there. And so what we're seeing is a shift within the labor market. Um, so vacancy rates relative to unemployment is now much higher than has been in the past. So that, that's what we refer to as the beverage curve. So that's shifted outwards. And that's signaling there's a less efficient labor market. We've got more frictions at, at play now. So all of this put together suggests that there's even less slack um, in the in the labor market than is currently imp implied by the unemployment rate. So in the US where you see the unemployment rate is recorded at 3%, the amount of slack that truly exists might be more consistent with an unemployment rate that's closer to 2%. And so on that basis, you would expect more inflation and than you would normally get at that 3% level. And that could that mismeasurement issue could be part of the mystery, but not all of it, but part of the story could be counted for there. Okay, so as you said, the mismeasurement gets us some of the way there to explaining the mystery. It could turn out that there's actually a lot less slack than is implied by the current unemployment rate due to changes in the labour market. And I think it's probably worth saying that a lot of those things that you talked about there may be the kind of things that would reverse in time if we continue to recover from the pandemic in terms of participation rates in terms of desired hours to work as conditions around healthcare uh, normalize, perhaps that does bring more people back into the labor market. And we see sort of some of this mismeasurement issue fading. So perhaps the, that mystery will also shrink in time from, from, from that perspective. 
But as you say, that doesn't seem to be a, a full explanation for what's going on. And I guess up to this point, we've kind of talked as if the relationship between unemployment and inflation was relatively stable and, and, and linear. Um, but that might not be the case at all, right? Uh, there's this yeah. possibility that people talk about of a, of a non-linear or a kinked Phillips curve. So how, how might that idea help explain some of the high inflation we've seen? Yeah, I mean, the, when we just to explain what this, um, the, the non-linear concept, non-linear Phillips curve concept. Um, so over the last, well, since 2000 to, to 2019, there's been a burgeoning literature that's talking about how flat the Phillips curve is and how non-responsive inflation is to changes in different measures of slack. Um, but that uh, could be explained in, in one sense because when you have a situation, a backdrop of very, very low inflation rates, then this you need to account for the fact that firms and workers are going to resist cuts to nominal wages and prices. So it leads to some downward wage and price rigidity. And there's a lot of work that's that's been done on that. And what happens is as you move towards for for a number of different reasons, which we can outline, but you can move toward from that flat portion of the Phillips curve and you move into more higher inflation. Um, backdrop and then you then the Phillips curve is actually steepening at those at those levels so there's a kink in the shape so to speak um, now there's a number of different uh, reasons w- which could have pushed us there I mean the the recent supply chain disruptions that we've seen that could be seen as a, a kind of temporary reshoring temporary disruptions all of this can can lead to these bottlenecks can lead us uh, push us into that steeper part of the curve um, And that seems to be what we're experiencing. If we look at the data within the US and the UK, we can, that's very much in line with that kinked or or the the fact that we've moved into a a steeper component of the Phillips curve. Now, this is important to note um, because in that steep portion of the Phillips curve, the inflation rate will accelerate more rapidly there. You're more sensitive to different, um, to changes in slack. Um, but we also need to um, remember that in order to, for inflation to be brought down, uh, it would actually need smaller increases in slack or unemployment. So that's actually good news in a sense. So, yes, we're in this very high um, inflation scenario and that relationship has obviously changed in some direction. But if it's as a result of a steeper curve, then that would be good news. It would mean that there's... Um, there's less work to be done in order to to bring inflation lower. Um, the sacrifice, what we call the sacrifice ratio, from this perspective, the, so how much economic activity we would have to sacrifice in order to bring inflation back down to the desired rate or target rate, that that cost is going to be smaller. So this might be the way that the you know the fed and central banks can can be thinking about policy i mean we've already heard that in some of the communication you know what is the cost in terms of of, of growth you know are we going to risk a hard landing in order to bring inflation down and tame it um but a steep phillips curve would imply a, a lower sacrifice ratio so if we stay on this steep part of the curve then perhaps monetary policy does not need to tighten as much as if um as it would be the case if the Phillips curve was flat and had actually to sh- had actually shifted upwards. So um, it's it, it, it can it can work both ways in the sense that yes we have more inflation, but actually that's good news. It's 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 easier to manage um, inflation if we if the relationship has moved towards that steeper 
part of the curve. Got you. So this is a, a two-edged sword kind of thing that cuts both ways in the sense that that it's a problem for us right now that we're on a steep bit of the Phillips curve. It means more inflation is generated. But as we come to tighten policy, perhaps that means it's also very easy to bring inflation down. And that could be the good news part of it. But I guess all of this relies on a crucial assumption there, which is that inflation expectations stay broadly anchored and that you can rely on this relationship staying stable over time. I guess that was one of the big lessons of the 1970s is that we can't always act like the Phillips curve is a stable menu, if you like, of choices where you can pick off whatever inflation and unemployment rate you like uh, and just pick off your trade-off ratio and you can choose where you, you want to be as you try and set the kind of policy that would do that, you could find the relationships changing beneath you. And that's because businesses and households see what you're doing and their expectations change. So uh, I guess the, my, my question is, um, how do we think about uh, inflation expectations changing at the moment? And how much is there a sense of part of the explanation as to why inflation's higher is because we've already started to bake in those higher inflation expectations. And to put it in the language we've been talking, the Phillips curve has shifted in that way. Yeah, I think the inflation expectation is probably one of the most important um, indicators to be watching right now. Um, and I think we need to be careful. It's the medium term inflation expectations that are more important. So, you know, we do hear a lot of, you know, people pointing towards, you know, one year ahead, inflation expectations have picked up quite rapidly. And that, that is true, but that's actually very much in, in the case of the US, again, if we take that example, that's very much in line um, with what you would expect in terms of the moving gasoline prices and commodity prices. So that that tends to be a bit more volatile, um, a bit more responsive to current inflationary pressures. Um, but and that can sort of subside quite and that, that relationship is very, very tight. So it will subside with uh, commodity prices. So yes, short run inflation expectations have picked up, but it's interesting across you know a broad range of surveys and indicators, whether you look at households, businesses or market expectations, what you're seeing is even though the one year ahead inflation expectations have picked up, further out beyond that, those medium term inflation expectations have been quite stable. So yes, they have um, increased uh, over the course of the last year. So in the US, um, they, they were you know, closer to sort of one and a half, two percent medium term inflation expectations, depending on which survey you look at. And they've now picked up closer to three percent, but they've stayed stable there, even with all the background noise that we've seen of you know, the, the Ukraine war, uh, the Omicron uh, crisis, the Omicron wave, the uh, supply chain dynamics, that hasn't really shifted medium term inflation expectations. So that's important to note. Um, now, as you mentioned, the 1970s was a very good example to follow um, because we could see in the late 60s, inflation was you know, picking up. Uh, and, and, and then as we saw this, you know, as I mentioned, the policy error, uh, the supply shocks, the impact of that was to really feed into wage negotiations and the behavior of households and corporate so that inflation increase in inflation expectations is really what shifted out the um the phillips curve 
and shifted it up up and to, to so that for each um level of inflation you have a much higher level of unemployment you have a much higher inflation rate and then it does take a lot of work to to, to bring inflation back on in under control um now that that's a much more permanent shift in the relationship between inflation and slack and um and this is one risk is that you can then end up in a very different inflation regime or inflation paradigm, which is persistently higher. And that's something that we've been talking about throughout the past past year, obviously in, 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 in different articles and podcasts. But um, the, the risk now is that if we don't see uh, an adequate policy response uh, soon enough, then we could see this expectations becoming unanchored. I mean, part of that, that the relationship over the last 20 years the, the reason the the phillips curve has been so so flat is is potentially because of inflation of credibility for central banks uh, inflation expectations have been low because there's been greater faith in independence of central banks and greater faith in the inflation targeting framework and we can see that across developed markets in emerging markets which followed at a later stage you can see how inflation expectations start to come down as as those new frameworks were introduced. So it is very important that this policymaker's credibility is, is maintained. Um, so they are, you know, it is important, the communication, how they're signaling tighter policy in the future is, is very important in order to stop that shift in, in the Phillips curve. And as far as we can see, that they've been fairly successful so far. And, you know, we can point to those medium term inflation expectations indicators there they're still fairly stable um those long-run expectations remain anchored um but they will only remain anchored if if there is faith in the policy the ability of policy to to tame inflation now the the, the worry is the longer we go through this process of supply chain disruptions um and shortages then the greater the the chance that we start to see wage wage um, negotiations becoming much more aggressive. I mean, yes, wage wage um, wage growth has picked up, but there's still you know in real terms you know wage growth is still negative. You know, still we're looking at sort of three four percent across some countries. You know, that's not really the a, 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 the era of a new paradigm. So credibility is is key here and particularly important at this point where we have this you know this this slightly elevated in inflation for each uh, for a given level of slack um so you know the fed doesn't have to do too much at the moment uh, to bring inflation down but it's really important that communication remains quite uh, quite firm yeah that's super three um thanks very much uh, for that i think that sets out very nicely the importance of credibility and i think perhaps why the fed at the moment is feeling the need to you know, front load so much policy tightening at this point, push through as much hiking as they have been and, and, and will be about to do. It's not just about dealing with the current inflation problem so much as signaling their long-term credibility around this. And that's ultimately what stops the Phillips curve, this relationship we've been talking about shifting outwards and delivering long-run, much worse outcomes so thanks very much, Sheree, for all your inputs uh, and insight. That is all we have time for today. Um, so thank everyone for listening. Please do 
subscribe and like us on your podcast platform of choice. Um, And we will speak to you again soon. So thanks very much. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.